Welcome to the University of California, San Francisco Sports Medicine Podcast, featuring Dr. Mira Fundia, Dr. Brian Feely, and Dr. Drew Lansdowne, discussing hot topics in sports medicine and society. We hope you enjoy our podcast and look forward to hearing from you. All right, welcome everyone to our UCSF Sports Medicine Podcast, six to eight weeks with myself, Dr. Nira Fundia, Dr. Brian Feely, and Dr. Drew Lansdowne. Dr. Lansdowne unfortunately can't make it today. Today we have the pleasure of having Joe Fortenbaugh on. Um, originally uh, came to know Joe from 95.7 The Game when he was out here in San Francisco, and now he's uh, moving on up over at ESPN now with a full-time gig, uh, talking about a lot of the sports stuff that I heard when he was over here in the Bay Area. So once again, thank you so much, Joe, for joining us, and, um, and congratulations on your, your big move. Oh, guys, thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be on. I look forward to the conversation. Right. So just to kind of start out, just kind of a, a general question just for our audience, if you could tell us a little bit more about your background and kind of your journey, how you kind of started out, um, you know, coming from Pennsylvania, traveling through the sports radio ranks, then over to ESPN. Sure. The quickest version possible is I was a uh, political science undergrad at Penn State, and then I went directly there to law school in San Diego, California. And when I was, my original thought process was I wanted to work in sports and I wanted to get a law degree so I could handle contracts. So I wanted to be an agent or someone working in an NFL front office, preferably. So I found an agent named Jack Becta in San, Fran, San Diego, excuse me. Jack represents George Kittle. He was just in the news recently because he handled Kittle's new monster contract. And I sent him a cover letter and a resume in the mail. This is 2003 every day for 26 straight days. And I was gonna do it for a month, then I was gonna start calling him for a month, then I was gonna start showing up for a month, basically forcing him into giving me an internship. So 26 letters goes by, his uh, assistant calls me up and is like, dude, enough with the letters, just come on up for an internship, come on up for an interview. That turns into a three-year internship. There was a job opportunity at the end, but when you're working with NFL clients, you're graduating in like May and you're not gonna have an NFL draft for a year, so it's gonna be tough to make money in the intermediary. So I bounced around a little bit. Jack was the guy who then launched nationalfootballpost.com in 2008. That's what got me into writing about football. I was, he brought me in to kind of manage the website and do some writing. I eventually started writing about sports betting. All the writing I was doing was getting me an opportunity to jump on radio shows. Jason Barrett, who was programming 95.7 The Game, heard me on these radio shows, got to know me, and then eventually offered me a job working mornings in San Francisco. And this is after I had moved to Vegas to start covering the sports betting world. So I go up to San Francisco, where you guys know me from. I'm on the radio six years. Uh, for the last year and a half of that, I was part-time with ESPN. They launched their new stadium, or their new studios, I should say, in Las Vegas. And I had an opportunity to come back here to join them full-time, which is what led me to uh, our current conversation. That sounds really straightforward. Um, <laughs> how many lawyers are there in sports radio? Oh my God. It, but, but the funny thing is you would think zero, but then you get into it and people find out that you have a background in it and then they start popping up everywhere. For example, what are the odds of this? So one of my uh, job responsibilities with ESPN is I do Saturday's game day radio show with two guys, Matt Jones and Myron Metcalf. Matt Jones is also a lawyer. So two of the three guys on this radio show on ESPN on Saturdays are lawyers. So I, I'm not going to say it's common, but I think there are a few more of us weirdos out there than originally and in, in, in thought of. Awesome. So as sports has shifted more towards analytics, and especially it seems like basketball um, is out there the most, but baseball now with like exit velocity, spin rates, putting everybody on the one side of the infield, 
Um, do you feel that Las Vegas has been using this type of data for years and then the rest of us are just kind of learning about it now? Or is everybody going at the same rate? Vegas has been ahead of the curve on most of this stuff. They have to be or they're going to end up losing. So they're going to find out what information their, their biggest adversaries would have. And that would be the best sports bettors in the world, right? You're going to have to find out as you set that number, are you get, are setting a good number? And if you're not, they're going to bet into you and they're going to beat you. So you got to figure out what information they're using. So there are different strategies when it comes to handicapping. Um, I, you, specific ones like exit velocity, no. I think that's something new to all of us. The defensive shift and a lot of what goes on in baseball is at the forefront. So those guys are kind of ahead of that. But I, I would say that more often than not, you're going to find bookmakers who know a hell of a lot more than the average public. It's their job to set those numbers and to price them accurately. And kind of relating it back to kind of us in the medical field, how does injury, you know, data, how does that kind of affect what's going on in terms of Vegas? Because that seems to, you know, obviously affect performance and that could potentially affect the line and the spread. Yeah. Without question, it can be huge. It's going to depend on the sport and the player. And then if we're talking long-term futures bets, it's going to determine the injury as well. So I don't know this for a fact, but I've heard grumblings about how certain, shall we say, connected sports bettors might have direct lines to medical professionals who work with teams. And as a result, they might have a leg up on how bad or good some of these injuries are and how it could affect the game that coming weekend. You know, if we're all anticipating a certain player is going to play, but someone knows in advance that a very important player is going to be out or it's very likely that he's out, you can go ahead and beat that number. Now, again, I don't have any inside information on this, but you, when you're around the industry long enough, you hear about how certain connections may be made, certain relationships may be out there, depending on the sport. Again, depending on the sport, it's going to come down to the injury. So let's start there with football, for example. The quarterback position is going to move the point spread. Unless it's, say, Chicago with Trubisky and Foles, who are deemed even, you're going to see a major move if Garoppolo gets hurt, uh, if Derek Carr gets hurt. I remember when Aaron Rodgers got hurt years ago and they had to go to Brett Hundley, it was an eight- or nine-point move. So the quarterback position moves it more than anything. Other positions might not move it at all. And that might feel like it's insulting, but the reality is if you find out an offensive tackle's out, you know, the next guy's up, no one's really going to move the spread that much. Basketball, it's only five guys. If LeBron's out, huge swing, obviously. In baseball, a little bit more replaceable. With baseball, you're going to get very deep inside the numbers. The splits, how do you hit righties versus how do you hit lefties? Who's playing defense that day? How rested is the bullpen? Things of that nature. So injuries play a huge role, but it'll depend on the sport and the player specifically. Now, assuming you don't have any inside sources, where do you think the most reliable source of information comes for injuries for people like you? So for the NFL, you're going to be tracking those injury reports as close as possible. But there's an, there's a, an emerging field here that I think um, for gentlemen like yourself or anyone that, that understands how these injuries work, you know, could have an opportunity. Dr. David Chow is probably the only guy doing this right now. Uh, David, I worked with him at National Football Post, so I know him pretty well. He started uh, Pro Football Doc, and he used to be the team physician for the San Diego Chargers when they were in San Diego. So not only does he understand injuries and what they can do to you and what the recovery times are, but when he knows these injuries by just simply replaying 
the event on the field. He can diagnose them almost in real time because he's seen it so many times throughout his career. He knows that that's an MCL versus an ACL, whether it's a quad versus a hammy, things like that. So following, finding the individuals who can dissect these injuries and tell us, you know, we might hear a guy's going to play this weekend, but if he, just because he's playing doesn't mean he's going to be effective. The second time the Patriots and the Giants played each other in the Super Bowl, the one that was in Indianapolis, I want to say 2012, 2013, there's a ton of focus on Rob Gronkowski and whether or not he was going to play. Gronk played but he had such a bad, I believe it was an ankle injury that he was almost non-existent and non-effective whatsoever in that game. So you're going to track it basically anywhere. The injury reports in the NFL are coming out every day with the NBA. You know, you might not know until later load management presents an entirely different problem because those announcements can come out. So you just try to stay on top of it. Try to get to understand the coaches when with things like that, because it might give you some insight into how it's going to go. But for me, a lot of it's a guessing game and just trying to stay up with Twitter and the news as to how it's going to happen. One of the things you mentioned, Joe, is about load management. How, um, in terms of load management and kind of sleep, like kind of these softer metrics that people use, how is that affecting what's, what's kind of going on on your end? Because that seems to be something that is now we're getting a better sense of impacting performance, um, but not as well known by the general public. The first year, a few years ago, when load management became a thing, it wreaked havoc on everybody, especially the NBA. I mean, they realized there was a game – I want to say it could have been the Warriors and the Thunder, or it may have been the Spurs going against LeBron, something like that. It was a Saturday night game. It was the main marquee attraction. And at the last minute, six or seven key players on both teams were ruled out due to load management. No one wants to watch that. And the NBA realizes that. And then they're going to hear from their broadcast partners who are like, what are we paying for? We're paying all this money so these guys can sit out. So then it became a situation where you're not going to force these guys to play. So this is where uh, David, Adam Stern has to, Adam Silver, I got the two of them merged. Adam Silver is going to have to get with these guys and say, look, we can understand this, but we got to be smart about this, right? We cannot put a marquee Lakers Clippers attraction on a Sunday afternoon and then no one plays in that game. We got to find better spots for that. So as, as the NBA has grown with load management, I think betters have grown with it too because now it's kind of announced in advance or you start to get a heads up for how the patterns work. But I think for basketball players, it's helped them tremendously. I mean, you go back to how these guys treated themselves in the 80s with, the, you know, the drugs and the drinking and the partying. Now these guys are very aware that they have a finite amount of time to make their money, to build their wealth. And they want to take care of themselves. They actively don't want to party. They want to be able to play for as long as possible make as much as possible and play at a high level. So I think players, especially in the NBA, are doing a much better job of taking care of themselves. And did you grow up a Bulls fan like Narab did? <laughs> no, I grew up a Sixers fan. I wish I grew up a Bulls fan. That mean I'd at least have some titles under my belt. Yeah, yeah. I was spoiled because I was in Chicago during the Bulls run growing up, then spent some time in Philly when Iverson was there, and then moved out to the Bay Area and then the Warriors. So I only know winning basketball. That's all. I was going to say, you only know dynasty basketball exactly. outside of the Iverson years, which were really fun from a losing perspective. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah normally this is where Nira tells us about how Michael Jordan needed no load management, and he only came out so that Pippen could score a few extra points. Well, all right, so let's think about that for a second, right? We're always comparing LeBron to Jordan, and we're talking about how much harder it was in the old days, but they may have taken it harder on themselves than they needed to. Think about Jordan for a second, and this is one thing that rarely gets brought up. Jordan was so burnt out, he literally had to walk away from the game for two years in his prime. You know, James, that never happened to him. James has found a way with the same burdens and the same pressures, some could argue more, 
More people are watching the NBA now. He's being compared to Jordan. He's got to deal with social media, the trolls, and everyone coming after him. There can be a case to be made that he has just as much on his plate, yet mentally, emotionally, he's handling it better because he never needed to step away. Jordan showed us in that documentary that he was burnt out. He needed some time off. Yeah. I mean, I think another thing that people don't really talk about with LeBron is he is indestructible. Like he has not had a significant injury that's really set him back more than muscle strains and minor ligament strains. Um, Michael Jordan had major injuries during his career. Um, and we know that just from our patients that every time we have a, you have a major injury, the lifetime of that joint is going to take, it's going to take a toll. And I don't know. I felt like I could see that in, in watching the last dance. He did not look like a young spry guy anymore. No, not still, at all. Yeah. Think, think about, uh, think about if you, if you didn't get a chance, Bill Simmons just had Russell Wilson on recently and they talk about the same thing LeBron has told people about in years past. Cause Russ falls, Russ is spending more than a million dollars a year on his wellness in terms of uh, having someone who can massage him, his mental health coaches, his chefs, all the people that are taking care of him, his recovery people, all that. LeBron's spending well in the seven figures a year on people to keep him in the best possible shape. You know, this is outside of coaches and basketball training and financial guys and all that. It's a million dollars plus a year on people just trying to keep him in the optimum physical, emotional and mental space. That's how much it takes. That's the dedication and the financial commitment to do what he's doing right now. Yeah, I spend about $10 a year on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you, I'll give you five of that. <laughs> do you think, uh, Joe, in, in, you know, in Vegas, with all the, all the numbers and analytics and data that's there, and us as physicians trying to figure out, like, you know, performance and injury, is there, you know, are there potential collaborations with people in Vegas who'd be like, look, we have this data, we analyze how injuries affect, you know, affect performance. I mean, is there kind of like this natural connection that just hasn't happened that could potentially happen and help? 100%. Yeah, I think it's an untapped field. I think what you're seeing is football is so popular and there's so much revenue and so much opportunity within football that we've seen all the little niche components over the years blossom. You know, it was football coverage and then all of a sudden fantasy football came along. And then all of a sudden sports betting coverage came along. And now all of a sudden we're having NFL officials weighing in on games and giving us analysis and injuries. While that sort of information has been around someone who can give you that in a quick, accurate, coherent way in an actionable way. I absolutely think there's a market there. Yeah. This last two weeks ago was the first time I saw a legitimate uh, description on a high ankle sprain on TV. And normally it's just a high ankle sprain, but this time they had the fancy graphics. They got the location right. And I was like, well, they must have finally gotten a medical person to give them a little bit of information. But you're totally right. I'm surprised that we will have esoteric rules um, talked about by NFL, former NFL officials, um, which really doesn't make much bearing because then the officials on the field will still decide exactly what they want and then the booth will say, well, yeah, okay, I guess that was right too. Whereas having a trained medical person say, that, that one, he's out for the year. Nick Bosa is gone. It was nice knowing him. Hopefully next yeah. year he'll be back. Yeah, and it, 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 I think the high ankle sprain is a great point because when I first got into this, I remember I spoke to a doctor in New York when I was trying to build up a network of people who could help me with some of this information. And this was someone who, um, he was willing to jump on the phone, talk maybe 10 minutes a week, explain some things. And the high ankle sprain came up. 
And as a someone completely ignorant to that, I just took that as high ankle sprain. All right, well, you can play, but you're in a little bit of pain. He broke it down for me where you'd rather, and I've heard this from multiple medical people, you'd rather fracture the bone than have a high ankle sprain. Because at least then the bone can heal a lot faster. You can get rid of the pain and you can get back out there. Whereas that high ankle sprain, that pain could be with you as much as 10 weeks as a professional athlete. And that's with some of the best rehab equipment on the planet and some of the best treatment on the planet. I never looked at that as being something that could affect performance for 10 weeks. I just thought it was whatever. He'll get over it this week and he'll be back next week. So that information is, is quite valuable. Great. And, and Joe, for our last question, we've been asking everyone this. We actually had the butcher boy on last week and asked him the same question. Oh. <laughs> we were saying, what's, what's the most in all years of covering sports, what's the most gruesome injury that you've seen in your, in your mind? Oh, there's a few. Um, I mean, Gordon Hayward's the first one that pops up because that was recent. So that's one that kind of stands out. Uh, I, I, oh, the, the Bo Jackson, when it happened, didn't look as gruesome. But for what that ended up meaning for his career was heartbreaking for so many kids. There was, uh, I think he's, he was a former Raider, what, Napoleon Kaufman? Or was it, yeah, that, that was one that stood out. My God, that was terrible. Um, and the kid, okay, so I, all right, so here's the answer. As I'm working through this in my head, <laughs> I'm not even going to remember his name, and this is so sad, but it was in the final four, the kid from Louisville, who uh, on the side of the court fractured his leg and the bone popped out. Just thinking about that now gives me chills. That was, yeah, that would have been the one. That would have been the one. That's such a sick question to ask somebody on the way out, by the way. <laughs> like, say, hey. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate the conversation. Oh, my God. Now that stuff's going to be stuck in my head all night. What would you guys say? Like, when you see an injury like that, how do you react? As a trained medical professional, do you get queasy like the rest of us do? You know, I think for me, it's we always see it on the back end a little bit. Like, we see it once they've kind of, you know, we're doing the surgery. I mean, for me, Willis McGahey, when seeing his knee bend backwards, that was probably oh, the yeah. most. That one, just kind of doing a lot of knee surgery. That was the one I was like, oh, that's horrible. And Sean Livingston's the other one. Uh, when he was playing oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. those oh, are the two ones yeah. what about what about you brian what were you what, what are yours yeah i mean same i think sean livingston because because uh, i watched that one live was really bad and willis mcgahee because it was the first one that i saw at super slow motion that they just showed over and over yes. but the one i remember as a kid was still joe theisman which means i'm like 20 years older than everybody else that listens to this but I remember just watching um, Lawrence Taylor run over and hug him. And that was the first time I saw an opposing player basically saying, I'm sorry on the field. Yeah. Cause you, you, we don't as fans come across this, but they hear it. Like they hear, they know exactly what happened. They hear it and they can only, I mean the same thing with Alex Smith, right? It was like the yeah. same injury. You watch that. You can only imagine how bad that has to hurt. Oh, Theismann. Every time that comes on, I look the other way. Yeah, that's definitely one of them that's, yeah, everyone, Theismann's pretty much in everyone's list. I mean, that's pretty, pretty crazy. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Joe, for taking the time, for coming on with us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, and, uh, yeah, best of luck with everything. Uh, we'll be listening. I, um, I really appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you so much. It's, I'm lucky enough that what I do for a living, I have an opportunity to do a lot of interviews. But, like, this has been totally different. I've never done one like this before. So, thank you. I'm learning a lot, too. Okay, awesome. Thanks a lot, Joe. Appreciate it. Yep. All right. Yeah, okay, thanks, guys. Okay, thanks. Thank you for listening to the University of California, San Francisco Sports Medicine Podcast featuring Dr. Mira Fundia, Dr. Brian Feely, and Dr. Drew Lansdowne. 
We look forward to hearing your feedback and hope you look forward to our next episode. Thank you.